Let's pray. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting life. Amen. So uh, one of the things that my wife Lauren and I try to do every week is we try to sit down together and look at the week ahead. Uh, And part of the reason is because Lauren is a big planner. So uh, she likes to know, you know, what's going to come up across the the days of the week, what meetings I have, what meetings she has. And so uh, last Sunday, we sat down together after worship and uh, we started looking over the calendar and we saw uh, one of the things was that on Tuesday night, I had a board of directors meeting. And so uh, Lauren saw that and she was, she knew, you know, that I would be out late. And so she said, yes, now I get to watch one of my shows. And uh, that's because there are uh, some TV shows. Uh, One of the things about Lauren and I is that there are TV shows that we can only watch together because both of us like them and so we don't want anyone getting ahead. But then we have shows that we only watch when the other person is gone. So, uh, for example, when she travels for work, there are shows that I get to watch that she's not around. And when, of course, I'm gone away for a meeting or something like that, there are shows that she gets to watch. And so when she said that, I asked her, I was like, okay, well, what's what's on your list? You know, what are you going to try to watch? And she said, well, I've got a a couple different shows, but uh, one of them I want to finish is Love is Blind. And uh, I looked at her, and I just kind of rolled my eyes, and I said, seriously, you're still watching that? Uh, And if you don't know what it is, uh, Love is Blind is a TV show from Netflix, and it's a show that Lauren and I watched uh, during the pandemic because, you know, that's what you kind of did. Everyone just sat down, you binged whatever show was there. So uh, we watched the show, and after the first season, I kind of checked out of it, but of course, it kept going, and Lauren seemingly still watched it. And uh, while I don't really pay attention to it anymore, the the one thing that I can say is captivating about the show is just the overall premise, the the idea, how this show even came to be, something that I find so fascinating because the whole show is built around the answer to one question. Is love truly blind? And so uh, the show kind of tries to encapsulate that question in the context of people being able to answer it. And it plays on the idea that people say, you know, uh, love is blind, meaning that looks don't really matter, that personality and morals and values, beliefs, that all of those are more important. And so uh, essentially they take men and women and they put this concept to the test. And the men and women are allowed to communicate and talk to each other, but the only way that they can physically see each other is if they get engaged. And as you can imagine, throughout this process, there's a lot of stuff that happens, a lot of drama that builds up because, well, it's for TV. Uh, But one thing in particular that, that stood out to me is that over the course of the season, the looks become less and less important. And what really happens is something that happens on every, in in every relationship, even the ones outside of TV. What happens is that eventually love is put to the test. And it's not put to the test because of uh, what you see, but instead because of what you know. Love is put to the test because people get to know each other better. And I think that is a concept that all of us can relate to and understand. Uh, whether you're, you're married or in a relationship or single or as Facebook would say, it's complicated, right? Uh, regardless of your relationship status, one of the clearest indicators of love in our culture and in our world is how much you know about someone or something. 
For example, uh, I've shared with all of you plenty of times before that one of the things I love are New York sports. I've got my four favorite teams, the, the Yankees, the Giants, the Knicks, and the Rangers in no particular order. But generally speaking, when I say that to someone, if they say that they're a fan or that they love the team too, I expect them to know certain things. Otherwise, I'm going to question how much they love them. And my guess is it's probably the same for you. Maybe not about New York sports teams, but just about anything. Think about something you love. And then the reality is you probably associate with how much you love that based on what you know about that thing. For example, uh, if you have come to me before or you've heard me say that, that I love Harry Potter, if you met someone who said they love Harry Potter, you'd expect them to know more than just like the names of the people in the movie, right? And in fact, uh, when I've mentioned that I love Harry Potter in sermons before, some of you have come up to me after worship and said, uh, you need to add the caveat that you love Harry Potter, but you haven't read the books. You know, there, there's a love for the books, and then there's people who have watched the movies. And you're over here. You're not over there, right? So there's levels to the love that you have about what you know about things. Right? Or uh, you could think about this in the context of uh, maybe your favorite musician. Right? Uh, there are a lot of uh, good musicians out there. A lot of people have their favorites, music that they love. For example, right now, Taylor Swift super popular, right? And there are people who would say that they love Taylor Swift, but what they're really saying is they like her music. Because if you say that you love Taylor Swift, you kind of entered into a separate category. There's a group of people, they call themselves Swifties. And so if you say that you love Taylor Swift, that means you have to know a lot about her, more than anyone perhaps should really know. But that's what it means. There's a level to the amount of love that you have, and it's based on what you know about her. Right, and so I could go on and on and on, but I think you get the point. When it comes to the things that we love, whether it's people or things, we measure our love based on what we know about them. And I've been thinking a lot about this reality recently, uh, partially because it's what I talked about a few weeks ago when I was with uh, our high school youth and a bunch of other youth uh, from around the district. And at the same time, because it's a reality that's uh, brought to us from the psalm you heard this morning. Psalm 139. Uh, this psalm happens to be uh, one of my favorite psalms, and uh, I want to talk a little bit about just the psalms as a whole before we even dive into it. Uh, so uh, maybe you've heard this before, but one of the things I love about the psalms is that they're often called the prayer book of the Bible. And that's because before they were ever written down by anyone, all those words were prayed by people. Uh, faithful followers of Jesus, believers in God, prayed the Psalms. They spoke them aloud before those words were ever written down. So essentially, any time uh, you are reading the Psalms, you are reading someone else's prayer. And so uh, that's why you might have heard it said before that if you're ever looking for the words to pray, open to the Psalms. Because it's like a treasure chest of prayers. And so uh, today we find ourselves uh, seeing a prayer that comes from King David. In the midst of this prayer that he, he speaks, the prayer that he prays, he talk about, he's talking about how well God knows us. And in light of that, in light of how well God knows us, it seems that part of what the Psalms teaches us is not only how well God knows us, but also how much God loves us. And you begin to see this in three different ways. It's, it's laid out in three kind of sections, I'll say. And so in the first six verses, here's how King David starts. He says, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You discern thoughts from far away. You know every word that I speak before it's even on my tongue. Notice that, that what King David is focusing on here is God's knowledge of our bodily movements. 
That God knows every move that we make, the things that we're going to do before we do them, the things we're going to say, before they're even formed in our minds or on our tongues, before the words that we speak are there, God has already known what we are going to say. That is how well God knows the the physical nature of our body. In fact, uh, David kind of goes on there and he makes a a subtle shift. He says in verses 5 and 6 that God hems us in behind and before That he lays his hands upon us. And what David's saying here is that God is always surrounding us. Which means there is no place that you could go that God is not with you. There's no place you can go that God is not watching over you, protecting you, following you into because of how much he knows you. He knows where you are going to go and so he is always going with you. Right, and so uh, then David makes his first shift. He goes from the physical knowledge that God has of our body, our movements, and he moves into the mind, where our mind can take us. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I go to heaven, you are there. If I, send, if I go into Sheol, you are there. And what I love about this is, is King David uses the highest of places and the lowest of places. He takes us to places that only our minds can go, that we can't physically go to heaven or physically go to Sheol, but in our minds that's what happens sometimes. Sometimes we have have thoughts that we set on things above, as Scripture tells us, and then there are thoughts that we set on things below. And that place, Sheol, that David talks about here is one that you'll read in, in a lot of different places in the Psalms and even in other places in the Old Testament because it was a place that people talked about when they wanted to highlight the darkness that exists in the world. Because uh, this darkness, this Sheol, is darker than anything you could possibly imagine. It's, it's a darkness that no one ever really wants to go into. And so in the context of this psalm, what, what David's highlighting for us is that sometimes our minds can go to really dark places. That our minds can have really dark thoughts, thoughts that we wouldn't want anyone ever to know that we had, much less to consider the fact that we would ever possibly share them. And yet, God knows. But uh, then David goes one step further, that, that God knows our physical body and our movement, and God knows what's going on in our minds, the thoughts that we have, and then David takes it one step further, and he starts to speak about God knowing our existence, that that God knows us into the depths of our soul. He says, for you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. I know them very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written, All the days that were formed for me, as yet none of them had existed. God's knowledge of you goes back to a time where you did not even exist. That before anyone else in the world knew you would ever be, God already knew that you were. That God knew every single thing about you before anyone else ever could have, or ever would have, or ever even thought about you, God already knew. He knew everything about your life because it was written in his book. All of your days already existed before you had a physical existence because he knit you together in your mother's womb. God knew 
everything about you into the depth of your soul every single moment of every single day. God has always known you. And I don't know about you, but when I start to sit in that reality, when I start to to think about the fact that, that God knows everything about me, Every act I've done, every, every thought I've had, every, every word I've spoken, every breath I've taken. When I think about the knowledge that God has of me, it scares me a little. If I'm being totally honest with you, when I, when I sit in those thoughts, it, it gives me a little bit of anxiety. It makes me anxious to consider the fact that God knows everything. Because uh, when I think about God knowing everything about me, that God knows the, the thoughts that I've had, every possible thing. Here's what I think about. I think about the fact that God knows every harmful thing I've ever done to myself or to someone else. And I think about the fact that God knows every hurtful thing I've ever said about myself or said to someone else. And I think about every dark thought that I've ever had that God knows Every dark thought, every broken thought that has ever crossed my mind about myself and about the people around me, that God knows all of it. He knows my brokenness. He knows all the times that I've messed up and all the times I'm going to mess up. He knows all the lies that I've told and the secrets that I've kept. He knows all the guilt and the shame that I carry from the things that I have done. God knows everything about me. And if, if God really knows everything about me, if if God knows all the things that I have done, if he knows the things that I don't want anyone else to know, the parts of me that I don't even like, the parts that I don't want anyone to see or to know about, if God knows all of that, the only question I have is this. How could God possibly love me? That with everything that God knows about me, How could he love me? And if you've ever asked yourself this question before, if you've ever wrestled with that thought before, I want you to know that that the answer is both simple and beautiful, and yet it's so complex all at the same time. Because it's just one word. Jesus. Because of Jesus, God loves you. Because of Jesus, God loves you, and through Jesus, God shows his love to you. Because what God says in Jesus is that he sent his son down for you, knowing everything about you. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's not waiting for you to have your life put together. God's not waiting for what you think it is, the perfect life, to then love you. God knows everything about you. He knows everything you're going through, all the grief you carry, all the pain, all the shame you go through. God knows all the hurtful things that people have said about you, all the lies you've believed about yourself. God knows everything. He knows every part of your body and mind and soul. And yet... He loves you. His love is so immense for you that in knowing everything about you, God looks at you and he says, I love you. I loved you before you ever were. I love you here and now and I will love you into eternity. My love for you has no end. And it's all because of Jesus. 
It's all because of who Jesus is and what he has done for you. And, and what that means is there is no point in your life where you are separated from God's love. There is nothing that can take God's love away from you. That God's love for you is endless, it is constant, it is faithful. And what that means is there is no point in your life where you are less loved by God and no point in your life where you are more loved by God because God's love for you just is. It is constant, ongoing, all the time, and it goes on into eternity. And so when you think about what God knows about you, you can be confident that nothing he knows will ever keep him from loving you. Nothing God knows about you will ever keep him from loving you. And knowing this changes everything. Knowing that God loves you so much changes everything about your life. Because when you know that God loves you, when you know that God knows everything about you, and that he still loves you no matter what, you then begin to see and realize that through his love is how he delivers his promises to you. That uh, God's peace is yours because he loves you. God's strength is yours because he loves you. God's power is yours because he loves you. God's mercy is yours because he loves you. God's grace is yours because he loves you. As I spent time uh, reading Psalm 139 over these last few weeks, uh, one of the things I realized is that so often in our faith, we're, we're looking for big, glorious moments of revelation, those, those moments where, where our kind of faith becomes sight. And while those moments are incredible and powerful for all the right reasons, it struck me that sometimes God communicates his incredible, powerful moments of faithfulness in simple ways. In, in small words, in, in songs maybe that you learn when you are a kid. And I was reminded about that as I thought about this psalm and I thought about God's love for me, about a song that I learned when I was a kid. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Whether today is the first time you've ever heard those words or the hundredth time or you've lost count, my hope and prayer for you is that every time you hear them, every time you hear that Jesus loves you, you hear the voice of God speaking to you. As he says, I love you. I loved you before you ever were. I love you here and now, and I will love you into eternity. And it's all because of Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.